cheers to another episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. I'm your guide, AJ Weinzettel, on this journey of stories showcasing the people behind the wonderful world of wine, where we dive into conversations ranging from terroir, viticulture, to favorite music, superpowers, and more. Please enjoy this episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Lytle Barnett for sponsoring the podcast. We hear about champagne all the time. It is the pinnacle and gold standard for sparkling wine throughout the world. However, are you aware that not every champagne bottle is vintage? Meaning, it has a vintage year imprinted on the label? Instead, you might see a number in the word edition indicating a non-vintage year. These wines typically have multiple vintages in the bottle to maintain a high level of consistency. Grabbing a bottle of vintage champagne is also notable because it signifies an elevated level of excellence. At Lytle Barnett, every bottle of sparkling wine is vintage-based, giving you that extra confidence when you open a bottle with someone special or for friends on a Thursday night. You will stand out like the hero that you are with a bottle of Lytle Barnett. You can purchase your bottles of Lytle Barnett today by visiting their website at lytle-barnett.com. That's L-Y-T-L-E-B-A-R-N-E-T-T.com. And be sure to use the promo code WINENOTES, that's W-E-I-N-N-O-T-E-S, for 20% off. That is Lytle-Barnett.com and promo code WINENOTES for 20% off until April 29th. Kenny, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, it's always a pleasure to to talk with you. AJ, it's uh, wonderful to be here with you today, virtually. Um, so glad we have this time and thanks for putting this together. Yeah, no, most definitely. I know, uh, I think the first time we chatted was the summer of 2020 and I was putting together my, my sparkling report. And, uh, since then I've been kind of following your journey. And finally, uh, last year, uh, 2022 during Thanksgiving weekend, we got to meet face to face. I was like, wow, finally. I know. I, I forgot the... Yeah, when that sparkling report, you were right in that. I was like, oh, man, that's going to be on our radar for the future because we definitely want to be a part of that lineup. It was a, quite a producer list that you procured, so definitely want to be a part of that, that community. And that, that was our vision from the get-go, and I'm glad we were able to meet in person in November 22 now. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's that's crazy. It took two years for us to actually... <laughs> you know, see one another, but you know, it, it's been great to keep in contact a little bit here and there. Yeah. Yep. So starting off, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to mispronounce your, your winery's name, but that I, I want to know exactly how to pronounce it correctly. So is it Arabolus? Yeah. Yep. Oh, you I, nailed I, it. So <laughs> not, not many people do, but we answer to a lot of it, but yeah, Arabolus is how we've been pronouncing pronunciating it and it's from the latin word arabilis and so that's the latin meaning farmable right or arable land and that's our aspiration in terms of our brand name and kind of the ethos that we're going after and you know we've been pretty fortunate enough to get into some vineyard sourcing you know we're in negotiation right now um, but the vineyard sources that we're doing are pretty top notch as far as, you know, in the Yola Hills um, and our, you know, and what we're seeing. And, you know, there are definitely more and more, but 
Um, our aspiration is to be a grower producer of traditional method sparkling wine. And so our brand name is Arabolis for a reason. And hopefully one day we, we can get there. Yeah, no doubt. That would be absolutely amazing. Is there, is, is there any sort of story or anything behind of like how you came upon that name or anything of that nature? Yeah. So we, my wife, Allison and I, it's just the two of us and, um, it's been a dream of ours to start a project like this. And we've been looking for a while in terms of where we could do sparkling wine. I mean, she studied for her PhD red wine finish, and that's why we started with Pinot Noir in 2018 and 2019. It's kind of the framework. It was, you know, you can't not join the Willamette Valley without a Pinot Noir. So it made sense strategically. And then, um, we were like, man, okay, we need to start thinking about sparkling because the sooner we start making it, the sooner we can reach our customers like you. Um, so the Willamette Valley made sense, but it wasn't the first place we were looking. We were originally looking in the Columbia Gorge um, because, you know, you have Chris and Steven from Analemma. There was a ton mm -hmm. of momentum from High U. Uh, you've got the Syncline that's doing some really great sparkling out there and in Lyle and some even just like pushing the Western, like Eastern edge of where you can grow Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and the Gorge. So um, that's where we were, we were thinking. And so what we realized quickly though, is that there are very few sites planted and there's definitely more coming, um, right. but for where we needed to be, it was, you know, part of that. So, I don't know if I really answered your question about the, 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 the name, but for me, I guess, you know, looking at that, the, we were working with a brand team, Gatto Riviera down in Napa, and they were just helping us with the design. And we came w to them with a couple ideas and so did they. And um, they're just, you know, started out, it was Tim Gatto and Raquel Gatto, husband and wife team. And then now with Antonio Riviera, the other part, um, you know, they were, you know, helping us make sure that we were following kind of like the brand DNA within that. So we came in with a Rabelis and, you know, the, obviously there were others. I can definitely show you our list right. over a glass of wine sometime and <laughs> you can probably <laughs> see why we didn't go with some of those. Right. No, I was, I was just curious. Um, I, I read somewhere that you, that you've tasted your first, had your first sip of Chardonnay at 12. And like right from there, you were like, "Yep, that that's what I want to do." I, I I need some more detail on that. I mean, holy cow, twelve years old. Yeah, that's uh, so it's a it's a memory that's stuck in my mind forever, and that kind of was the the inception point of where we got to today, and kind of my studies and everything. So, my parents had really good friends from California, and they. They moved to Cincinnati, we got really close. And then when they moved back to California, they actually were in Napa, downtown Napa. And so we did the kind of California wine tour in Napa and Sonoma and up in the Redwoods and Northern California. So some pretty cool sites. And one place that we were in was the mountains of kind of mountain territory above Napa and uh, harvest time. And I'm, I'm kind of explaining my whole 
like memory, right? So it's right. been that drastic. It was foggy. You know, you had the forklifts beeping everywhere. It was chaos. They're stacking bins. And the bins are t- were too tall for me to even see what was in them. So, like, I just right. remember looking up and, you know, it's just this, like, gray sky. And because of the fog socked in and just not right. knowing what I'm reaching into. And I see, like, this just golden cluster. And I'm like, whoa. You know, and the wine, the winemakers like taste them, like go for it. You know, clearly, like first thing is like instant burst of flavor and sweetness, and then you hit the scene. You're like, okay, these aren't table grapes for one, but these are amazing. So what right. is this? And you know, we went down in the cellar and sniffed the barrels that were fermenting of the same, you know, same grapes, everything. I'm like, God, this is unbelievable. Like what? It just felt so cool. It was secluded. It was tight. Like I love. I don't know why. I mean, just as a kid, well, I went no, to tight spaces and crawling in tunnels and stuff. Right. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I just had this. I don't know. Ethereal feeling that stuck with me and uh, spawned this idea of like, how can I make this a profession? But at the time, like I didn't know what that was. You know, I loved being outside and dabbled around a lot of internships that were unrelated to wine and food and kind of where my passions lied from that point to get me, get me here. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. It's, you know, it, in reading that and just seeing that, you know, your, you know, your, your trajectory was kind of already set at 12 and, you know, Allison also, you know, went to college for wine, uh, I, I'm, it, it just fascinates me that uh, the both of you were like, yeah, we're, I'm going to go to college for wine and study wine. Uh, what is Allison's backstory on how, like, what got her into wine? Yeah, so hers is a little, is interesting because she was studying, you know, she went to Santa Clara for undergrad, studied biology, and she is way smarter way smarter than I am. So like from a, she tested in and got into optometry school and, but her, she wasn't going to start until like the year after. So what did she do? She, she was like, okay, I'm going to go work, stay in Lodi and just hang out with my friends after college for half a semester. And then the following spring semester, I'll, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to WSU and test into food science. So she, she was in the food science program right. of WSU studying Syrah and she, it like instantly was like, okay, this is what I got to do. I mean, she loved the wine scene. She loved, you know, the beauty being outside again, like being part of this like community. Um, and she saw that down Lodi. Right. Um, but when, you know, when she got to WSU, she's like, wow, I didn't know I could make like a serious career out of this. Um, and so, yeah, she, she, she voided her ticket to optometry school after that initial semester at WSU and said, like, they're paying me to go to school to research wine. And I don't have a $300,000 debt ticket after optometry yeah. school. So like, this is a no brainer. Right. No, that, that, that is a no brainer. So, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's definitely the business savvy of, of the bunch here. 
Well, you know, you got to have equal parts, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and and wasn't she, uh, she was your tour guide or something, wasn't she? Yeah, that's the uh, kind of other part of this. I, I signed that that solid line right then and there when I, when I saw her, but, um, <laughs> jokes, <laughs> jokes aside. Yeah. I, um, was on a tour, uh, to WSU when it was her, this is her first spring semester. Right. So right. she's just like living the life and it's winter time. Like it's freezing. Cause like I thought coming, coming from Kentucky, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to the mountains. Like this would be awesome. I'm going to the West coast. Well, what they didn't tell me was when you come over the I-90 pass and you just start seeing like a fellow I-26, um, you're in the middle of wheat country. So it's beautiful. So like there, there was so much beauty in that, that I was like, okay, no mountains, but where am I, what is this place? And to have this kind of like utopian small town college, it just felt so, so familial to me. And yeah, so she was my tour guide she did a great job, sold me right then and there. Well, that, that's awesome. So at what point did y'all realize that both of you were studying wine? And, you know, is there a moment? A love story. You know, yeah. Well, no, yeah, sure. A love story. That's, that's yeah. I like that. Let's, let's do that. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interject, but, uh, yeah. So we were studying for our prelims, PhD prelims. And so that's part of the, the, journey as far as the WSU program, you, you start out as a master's student, even though like you, you want to be a PhD, um, you have to test in. So I, I never read more test textbooks front cover to cover than that period of time. And Allison was, you know, what are you like, what are you doing? Like, let's be more efficient here. So like we, we formed kind of a group together and just kind of got to know each other pretty well during that that time so being study buddies and um yeah we it was nice because on the weekends we would just take breaks and go on road trips and you know one of our buddies was uh he he calls himself the third wheel but he wasn't he more of an instigator on this but uh he he'd be like on a saturday morning let's go to glacier park and alice and i'd be like okay, as long as we're back by Monday to study again, like keep us on track, we'll do it. So like we just went to Glacier or we went to Walla Walla for a weekend on spring release. And it was just like, kept it light and hearted during this like intense time. And so we, we were always friends for Alice and I for two years before, before prelims, but that kind of sealed the deal. Very nice. Yeah. That's, that's great. It's, you know, you just never know what the, what the world is going to give to you and poof. And now you are now here you are like starting your own brand and, you know, and, you know, taking, you know, new ventures. Um, so, you know, you mentioned earlier that Allison, you know, was doing, you know, studying Syrah and, you know, I think the, uh, impact of tannin and alcohol content, uh, and then your dissertation was on sparkling. Why, why did you right. choose sparkling? So at the time when I started, and this was, you know, kind of going into grad school, you have to do a literature review and, you know, scour all of the citations and kind of understand. And I know I wanted to do 
do white wine and and sparkling so i like i had a sense but when i started searching for sparkling wine in the literature there was very little especially in the us most of it was in spain or there were some in france so gerard laguerre belair he he was a really instrumental researcher at the time taking like high speed like one to twenty five thousand frame per second photos of sparkling wine bubbles and right. flyers like in the glass just really trying to understand the physics and the kinetics of traditional method sparkling wine so i was like whoa this is super super interesting and wsu had a, a sports research lab that had the exact camera oh. and so like the the idea started is okay well how you know you don't want to duplicate research that's ridiculous like nobody that's the point you get published for original so um i start, as i was looking i'm like well nobody's fundamentally like we're a food science program like let's look at sugar like sugar chemistry and the two points of where sugar is added in traditional methods sparkling wine the tirage and the dosage both like critical steps in terms of like you got to ferment in the same bottle that's sold in and then you're impacting the final profile of the wine it seemed like nobody was really doing this so i we approached it in a little bit of a different way like okay we're profiling a wine that's tiraged you know we we influence the tiraged um with different sugar levels because at the time pet nets were really growing in popularity and in washington and oregon and the person who was the entity that was funding this research was saint michelle so like a lot of this was you know commercial scale how do we understand the the mouthfeel of carbonation because that was another aspect that i wasn't seeing from a sensory standpoint how do we define terms that one we can quantify but also from a consumer standpoint present them in a consumer language that's acceptable and they can relate to that to understand liking right. um not surprising people expect sparkling wine to be at a really high carbonation level but there's a willingness to buy or like like a wine that's a, at a pet nat level so it started like okay there's an entry point here that we're seeing um and this was back in 2014 i think was our initial research on tirage and then at the time i i was disgorging a lot of wine treatment wine for this dosage dosage study so um, we were looking at different sugar types um, and different sugar levels right the thing about research wine is you're pushing the limits of what a commercial wine really is so like i had a demi-sec level i i don't know how many people in the world have actually had demi-sec sparkling wine they're great um right. they're interesting for this research we were doing that for a reason because we wanted to see like does that sugar impact the headspace like the polarity we're changing the volatile matrix and everything from a chemistry standpoint, density standpoint. So it does, they have a high enough impact to the untrained nose and even trained nose, no. To a GC, gas chromatographer, 
gas chromatogram, excuse me, um, maybe it's trends. So yeah. it, it was a cool study because like we were fundamentally looking at sugar types. One, because like there's cost efficiencies there. Fruit sugar is way cheaper than cane sugar. Maybe there's potential there. It's not traditional, but, you know, rectified grape must concentrate is still being used in champagne today. So there are, there are levers people are pulling at the dose, the dose level. Yeah, no. And and yeah, I can, I can only imagine how fun that, that whole research study project was it. uh, I know you know, when I was talking, you know, to some, some other people that have done sparkling in Oregon, you know, they're playing with different types of, of sugar. And, you know, most people are like, yeah, it's just, you know, household kind of sugar. So what's interesting is we, we did a honey trial last year. I mean, like, it's cool because there's so much honey. I mean, I want to knock on Andy's door and be like, hey, Andy Lytle, right. can I get some honey? Or so, you know, some of these local bees, you know, on our property that we rent, um, we had uh, apiary that put their hives on the property. And so it's like all the blackberry bushes and it's some of the best honey I've ever had. Um, So I've been asking, like, let's put some away and have that special as kind of local source, you know, the place that we're growing the grapes from because it's literally right over the hill to Pearlstad and some of these other sources that we're getting grapes from. So it'd be kind of interesting. And you know, the bees are going that far. Um, But uh, Clement's Lalarge was, I think more the, I'm sure people were doing this before, but she was the one that commercialized it in Champagne. Yeah, no, that would, that would be fun. I mean, to have natural, I mean, to have just everything locally sourced. I mean, that, that would be, That'd be really amazing. That's a bit, that's a vision. I, you know, if we can get there and that, that was so cool. And we actually just went to Champagne in January and the, the economy there is so small. I mean, there are big entities, right? You have the big grand marks, you have huge uh, suppliers there, but it's so hyper focused on that industry. That was so like, it felt so relatable here to the Willamette Valley. Obviously you know, we're, we're maturing in sparkling wine. Um, and clearly like Andrew Davis is the spurred that momentum in terms of all of the growers that are here. So, um, you know, giving them a infrastructure, right. To make sparkling wine. So one day we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, you're, you're talking about your, uh, trip to champagne. I think you also mentioned how open and candid everybody was. I mean, I'm curious of like some of the advice that you got and also um, comparing that to the Oregon wine community. I mean, what, were there any similarities? A hundred percent. Like it felt mere image almost. There's definitely um, a younger, you know, it's the next generation that are taking over the domains. So right. Honestly, even this morning, I just got back, you know, responses from Cedric Moosey and Flavian Nowak because we've been writing since that trip and they've been unbelievably friendly and open and, 
you know, want to share some of that knowledge. And so, I, I mean, these guys are Instagram pen pals. I just literally cold called, cold called to him and wrote right. them in my botched French and Google translated French to them. And, um, they were amazing. And so Guillaume Duyar and Benoit Dehu are two of the other ones that we went to and Arthur Lamar and DA, like they're all like tw- 28 years old to 50, like young, young family right. estates. And it was so, so cool to see um, and honored that they spent the time to to sit down with us in, in the middle of January because it definitely was a down period for sure. All the grand marks were closed and it felt s- slow. Like everybody was pruning, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and it felt like, uh, I don't even like just this medieval show that you're watching. Like birds are flying, the abbeys ringing the bells, all the white vans are pulling up into the vineyard and the right. guys are lighting up their cigarette, going out and pruning five rows and that's their day and it was so casual like i didn't want to leave i the biggest miss i think the one thing i wish i would have done was bring my work computer and just kept kept going there you know just keep working and stay there for a month because um yeah and so these guys as far you asked about recommendation um we brought wine with us, we brought two cases of wine. Uh, we brought our Pearl Sad 2021 Yola Shard, and we also brought our 2020 Columbia Gorge sparkling wine. Just that—that's the one that we're planning to release first before our other 2020. Right. And so, um, yeah, disgorged it with them. I also left some. Like Cedric wasn't there; it was just his, his staff, but left some with Cedric and that's, he wrote to me last night and, you know, said he tasted it and it was, you know, already like he's, it's tight in some regard, but he's like, that's a good thing, you know, being reductive in a way that when you disgorge it, you can pull some levers with the dosage, but they were impressed. So it was nerve wracking to say the least one disgorging in front of these guys. Cause this is what they do in from the crib, basically if I right. like, so, um, <laughs> We're just doing it all of LA on the fly. And the one that kind of I was a, can I, yeah, holy shit moment. Part of my yeah, French. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, you're totally yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Disgorge it for Guillaume Doyard. And he's like, can I bring this to dinner tonight? And I'm, we're like, yeah, sure. Like, sure. Right. It's like, we Disgorge it for you. And he's like, well, we have our grower meeting. And it's just like a bunch of friends of us and I would love to just blind them and just see what they think. Like, I won't tell them who and where, and I'll just play it off. Like it's mine. Right. And he sends a text that night that says like uber impressed, super positive. Um, here's who tasted it. And it was Rudolph Peters, Laurent Vimar, Gervais, like Le Par. All these people right. that I'm like, holy shit, Alice, <laughs> do you realize like what just, the, I was like, I'm like already, like I'm shaking now. Cause I'm, it, I can't believe that, that, that happened. And I'm like, well, there's, there's excitement. It's not a uh, surprise that Rudolph Peters, 
he was looking in Oregon before he started that Racine's project down in um, Santa Rita Hills. Or, and so that, like, there's interest. And I think right. it's, you know, you're seeing it now. And um, I was just glad we showed up well. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> with, you know, with your background and I mean, it, yeah, no, that's uh, absolutely amazing and great that it showed so well. And yeah, I would be completely... Uh, blown away and nerved. Uh, well, yeah, I, my, my nerves would definitely be on edge. And, yeah. uh, it, it was cool because we got to taste a lot of different, different stages of the wine when we were there. Like they were just finishing, either they just finished primary or they were just finished secondary or going through secondary. So, um, I think one of the videos that like our kind of synopsis video on Instagram was in Benoit's um, cellar and he has all these different size barrels and stuff and does primarily an oak, he, purely an oak. I think he only has three stainless steel tanks for reserve and even that doesn't do too much. But he was just like, oh, come, come, like sniff this one, sniff this one. Oh, it's too tight. Like this one's starting to open up. Well, do, you know, does Taraj that one first or whatever. And it, it was just so awesome to see that passion and like even his passion for biodynamic, like all these guys are doing bio for the most part, um, right. or organic, either they're claiming it or not, but, um, there's definitely some energy in those wines. Some of the best experiences I've had, like sensations in the mouth, like from a texture standpoint and that I've ever ever had so definitely we we our suitcases were full when we were <laughs> on returning <laughs> well, i can imagine i can imagine i uh you know i might have to take your advice and bring my work laptop and stay a little bit longer yeah well um let me know when you go because i'm gonna uh, we're going back like right it's it, it was a cool spot yeah no that that would be um so, and I, I've had this interesting question that's just been percolating around in my head about the corks for sparkling. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can help me out and give me a little bit of education here because I, I, I don't know. But it seems like the the corks from champagne, you know, the, the bottom of the cork seems to be super, you know, small, thin. And then like the sparkling we get here from Oregon, you pop it and it's like, it's like a big old... Mushroom, mushroom or something yeah can can you provide any insight on that yeah so most of the producers in champagne are using the double disc and so so are we and i can i can pull one if you want me to but um because i have some here but um they and there's clearly more innovations with diam and midic like with the agglomerated full you know top to bottom. Right. The reason why you're getting the mushroom is just like the age of the cork. So how long that cork has been in that bottle, because it breaks down, you know, there's, okay. right, there's right, structures, right. it's cellulose at the, the end of the day, it's, you know, just structure from the bark of the oak tree. So over time it's breaking, breaking down a little bit and compressing. So, you know, a new sparkling wine that's just been disgor disgorged and, you know, corked 
on on that it's going to be fresh and springy and it honestly if you if you pulled that out it would probably look brand new because if if you put that cork in the bottle a month ago it's still springy enough to to bounce back but the longer it sits in the bottle aged sparkling wine which i highly recommend um it it'll keep that like real tight thin structure right. okay um so yeah no that that that's cool and it sounds like i'm not aging my sparkling long enough is what it sounds <laughs> like to me you're enjoying yourself that's what it sounds like to me <laughs> yes yes no it's i've i'm definitely holding on to as many bottles as i can here and there it's it i can't wait to see what some Oregon sparkling light is like in, in 20 years. It's going to be amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, and so, you know, you're talking about your work laptop and so you and Allison are both in UX, you know, user experience. Um, and I understand it from like Allison's standpoint, you know, user experience, cause I'm also in tech, right. And I understand you know, creating that user experience, but you're more in the, the grocery side of things. Oh, uh, and you know, in high school, I was in grocery as well. I, I, I would love to know what is UX in grocery? What is, what is that like? Yeah, it's, uh, so I'm a, I'm a UX researcher within the, within the grocery, but it's specifically on customer experience and it, it might sound weird because you, a lot of users can vary. Uh, for me, it's the user of the, 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 the app for the retailer, which is Kroger. Um, okay. Okay. And so that within the e-com space, you can either use the app or, you know, even shopping in store, like in-store customer experience is, is really key. Cause I mean, all the way down to product freshness, right? Like, you know, when does the the Kroger associate pick the banana for you and your pickup order, your delivery order, or even yourself? Like if you're going in store, you're probably looking for, you know, the yellow bananas or it depends when you're using it, right? right, right. Like, are you making banana bread that night or are you making you know, banana pancakes tomorrow or something like So it just depends where that, that entry point is. And I say entry point is, far as like the shopping trip um so i'm trying not to be so jargony um for your listeners but um the biggest the biggest goal for user researchers is to empathize with the mm -hmm. user and their needs and that need can vary um you know with your accessibility or your physical differences or your modality or need state like of the time in the moment and so that's the primary goal is uh you know as a researcher is empathizing with them to make a product or service that addresses that need or answers that need so i'm just trying to think of like one instance you know the pandemic really accelerated a lot of these product features, especially with pickup and delivery. Right. Um, and the benefit there was time saving, you know, if you, for the working parent or the working individual, um, you don't really have to think about it. It's just like, I can go on my app, you know, select bananas, milk, eggs, bread, peanut butter, 
and it'll be delivered by the end of the night. So um, here where we are in the Yola Hills, I it's ironic because I don't get delivery. We're so far out of the radius um, right. that it's serviceable, but we do pick up a lot and um, it's saved a lot of time because it's great. We're just out and about. I can say like, oh, I'm driving past Wilsonville. Like, let's just pick it up then or Newburgh and then we'll right. get home. Um, but yeah, I'm really fortunate because it's it's been fun to, to work in that space and see kind of the back behind the scenes aspect of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, so I work in the banking industry and I've, uh, I've worked with Kroger and you know, there, there's been some, some fun conversations I'll say. I can imagine. So, um, yes. Kroger personal finance is a, a big one, I'm sure, but yeah, for another yeah. time. <laughs> yes. So you have a lot of things going on. I mean, you have, you know, you know, a day gig, you're out, you know, uh, you know, making your wine, you know, you're out going to, to champagne. And yet, like when I, when I met you, uh, in November, I was like, holy cow, you're like stack and built and like ready to, <laughs> I mean, how in the heck do you get time to, to work out and stay so fit? Yeah, that's, um, that's a funny thing because um, it's a. I do value taking care of myself and my body, and um, you know it's just one of the things that I prioritize. And even if it's just twenty minutes, like that, that's enough to get a, a really good hard workout in. And um, you know, on lunch, we'll walk down to the mailbox and back. It's 800 feet elevation change, so it's enough, you know, about a mile and a half, but enough to just like get get the blood moving. And you know, we're sitting we're sitting at a desk all the time, looking at a screen, and it's just like I gotta I gotta look away, you know, just and take my eyes off the screen for a second. And so that's just something that I've always been passionate about and my my dad has been kind of the spurt of that and we used to to do little competitions even when i was away at college like you know where are you at these days how many you know how many push-ups did you do like we would do for january even like all right let's do a, a push-up challenge every day and see see where we can go but um yeah i played i played sports in college uh I was on the varsity tennis team. And so that was one of the things that I did for a couple of years on before I just said, you know what, I'm, I'd rather do this on, on my own and play for fun. Um, but always doing some skiing. We were skiing last week, just trying to stay active as much as we can. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. And I go, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I got to make it to my 50th harvest if I can. So I got to see that yeah. far. Yeah, no, that, that would be great. I know, uh, not too long ago, I mentioned, you know, that I purchased a, you know, a new gravel bike and you did you, did I read that correctly that like you're into biking and stuff as well? Yeah. So, um, I, my first bike that I bought was a cyclocross bike and the biggest thing, the reason that I bought it was, uh, for college, but also going out to WSU, a lot of the the roads were gravel out there, you know, outside across the leaf field. So 
I'm like, I need something that's stout. My frame's not going to bend, but still fun to rip. Right. And so bought that bike and I still have it. Like, I, I love that thing. And, um, Allison got, uh, similar cyclocross bike she doesn't do as much but just more for pleasure riding but enough to like you know if you hit a bump or a rock like you don't want that thing to kick out or bend on you so that was the right. best thing about a cyclocross bike is they they're built a little bit more sturdily and i did a lot more mountain biking um so single single track on moscow mountain when i was in grad school it was so close and that whole thing, it, it's almost like bachelor. Like that whole thing was devoted to mountain biking in the summer right. and the mountain bikes have right away. So if you're hiking, you have to like be listening for the bikes. Cause we would haul down right. when, so it was fun. It, I, there are moose up there. Um, I never saw one, thankfully, but I remember when my, my bike got shipped cause it was disassembled. I took it to a shop. I was like, Hey, where do we go? Um, they're like, Oh, it's just Moscow mountain, like 10 minutes from here. But I uh, just watch out for moose. And I'm, and I remember looking at my parents and I'm like, <laughs> they're joking. And they're like, no, we're serious. Like, oh. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God. Like, they're like, yeah, you just you either bomb it or jump off the bike and like run behind a tree. So, wow. It, yeah, it, um, I loved it. it. It's fun to to be in, you know, like oh, road yeah. road biking and such. There's there's a lot of un or like surprising areas that you stumble on. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's it's a blast. I'm you know I'm looking forward to getting out and you know checking out some Forest Service roads this summer and just seeing where the adventure goes. How far are you usually riding? Like, uh, you know, uh, on the road bike, uh, you know, there's, I have a, um, a little route that's about 30 miles, you know, with, you know, 1500, 2000, you know, uh, feet of elevation gain. And that's uh, not nothing. It's not nothing, but get this. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, Dan from Corollary, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Good friends. You know, he, uh, he made a, a remark on that same post and he's like, well, I hope you're going to start doing some elevation <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to look at some of his rides. I mean, he'll do Warden Hill and Shehala mountains and he's doing like four or 5,000 feet of climbing. And I'm like, yep, that's intimidating. I want to go riding with him, but like, um, I'm a little intimidated about that. Yeah. I, that is a little bit intimidating. I think I'd be bringing up the rear on you guys. <laughs> I I don't know. I might I might be walking or something a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, earlier you mentioned that you know you came from Kentucky, and uh, I had to do some research. I came across a a term I had never heard before, and it relates to to bourbon, and it's mash bills. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to say like some Kentuckyism here because we hear a lot of those random ones here and there. <laughs> yes, well, I, I grew up in Tennessee, so you know it's uh, yes, yeah. But uh, and understanding mash bills, 
the, you know, it, it sounded, so what a mash bill is, because I had to look it up and correct me if I'm wrong, is, you know, the different, uh, like percentages of corn and whatnot that that's inside the actual bourbon. Yep. And one night you're out with friends and you're blind tasting bourbon and you're just calling out all these mash bills. Uh, I, I just curious, how, how did you figure that? I mean, was it just natural or was it practice or what? Yeah. So the lead up to that, that night was, that was my going away night for beam Suntory. So I did right out of grad school, actually it was middle grade school. Um, an internship in their R and D department. And, you know, that team in the spirits industry, like they work hard, they party harder. Like, and so, um, we, over the course, like my job, my first week there, my boss was like, Hey, can you like, I want to show you something, you know, you need to familiarize yourself, but she opened this door and it was just like, a wall. I mean, it, it felt like the whiskey library. Oh, you wow. walked in and it was just all of Beam Suntory's products, competitors, everything. And she's like, I want you to taste these. And, you know, oh, so the course of the summer, you know, four months, I just said, okay, I'm going to taste gin. Like, let's just pull 10 gins and taste these. And so one of the projects that I was on was developing a spirit, a brown spirits, like wheel or reference set for Beam Centauri, among some other projects. Like I did Pinnacle Vodka and some QC stuff, quality control, and um, but you're tasting all of these bourbons every week, and right. so you know what the gold standards are. You know what the mash bills are. Um, and they would just say, like, this is mash number four, mash number three, like, whatever. And so we all had drinks this night. It was great. Went out the bar. And, you know, the, the whiskeys that are in Beam's portfolio go from, like, Old Crow, which is, like, you get old crow as a shot next to your, your yellow jacket chorus banquet. And that's, that is what that is often ordered together in Kentucky. And so, but it also goes up to Booker Booker or little Booker is the top of the line stuff that they're getting from the, the center cut. And so after we had this night or we go to colleague's house and Allison's with me and, she, I'm already like, I should, I should not be continuing the night. <laughs> and they had like 10 whiskeys in front. I'm like, all right. So I started tasting one. I'm like, maker's mark. And they're, you know, I said maker's 46. I'm like old granddad. And then I started getting into like the treatments. I'm like, oh, this, this tastes like mash number four. This tastes like mash number four with some like French Oak, like it has had like this vanilla kind of like coconut ish finish right. to it. And they all look at each other and like, what the hell? They're like, why you've, you've been just like holding out this whole time. And it just, 
so I was like, okay, I'm done. Like I, I need to go home. <laughs> so like, <laughs> we, I'm glad that that was the end of my internship experience to end on like right. a good note. But also I saw like, I'm glad I'm not, I mean, respect that industry. Um, right. it could have, it could put a hurt on me. I, I could only imagine. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, you know, there's been many nights for myself where like, it's been a hurting on me with just wine. I can't even imagine with, uh, you know, you know, with bourbon and whiskey, just, oof. Yeah, you definitely have to respect it. Um, and it's, it's so hard tasting white dog, like to straight off the still as it's running. Cause you know, huge respect for those, those guys that are doing that to make those press the cuts. So they're doing it by density with just like a hydrometer to see where, where things are and they're smelling it and such. But, um, at that scale, it's, it's crazy. It, it's yeah. so crazy. Um, I, I can, I can only imagine. I got a fun stat, you know, about bourbon. I think at the time it might've been last year, two years ago, there were two barrels of bourbon for every person in the state of Kentucky. And Kentucky's real small. But I was like, man, there's a lot of bourbon being produced. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is a lot of bourbon. Um so, you know, we talked about Dan a little bit. Are there do you have any any stories of the Oregon wine community in general that just stand out to you of how collaborative and like everybody just kind of helps out one another? Yeah. And I'm glad you, you asked this question again, cause I'd never, I didn't touch on it in the, the champagne topic, um, we were talking about, but the, the Willamette Valley has been immensely supportive, like incredibly supportive and two stories. Like the first story I will say is related to our 2021 vintage mm -hmm. and I had called my sparkling picks. This is a Friday. I think I, I was like, I called my picks. They're ready. I had six tons of fruit coming and which for us, that, that that's a lot. Like we're, we're small still and fire up the press at Bjornsson and the press blows like the vacuum pump blows. And I was just like, Oh shit. Like, I, I thought I broke something like some, something went wrong and it, it knows just an old press and it, it blew. And I was just like, Oh, like I'm, I was freaking out. Right. Right. Cause like the pit crew's done, the grapes are ready. Like we're go time. So I sent out a frantic email and I, I wrote to John Groshaw to Ma, um, who else I write to. I mean, those guys were the two that responded like instantly and said, bring your grapes. Like we, we got you. And I, I was just so like, I, all, I mean, emotionally it like hit me so hard. Cause I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable. Like, I don't know any other place that would just let you pull up. Not like, I didn't know John at the time. Like I knew of John, but, right. um, I never met him in person. And so to meet on such circumstances and same with Tama, like, um, I was just like, wow, I love, I love these, this place, you know, it just further uh, 
affirmed, you know, you know, or confirmed to us why we're here, you know, and Tamav for mentioned in that email, like all of us are benefiting, you know, all ships are rising with the tide. And so for that kind of like response, right. I, I, I loved it, you know? And so that, that sticks with me to this day in terms of, um, us still being successful, you know, is because of other people's success and the other people, you know, this other story that I want to mention is Dan and Jean, like they're doing incredible things. And, um, I was intimidated and Allison too, like we were both intimidated to meet them for the first time. And so we really hit it off. Um, and they've been become really close friends to us and mentors almost like we're just, we've got a camaraderie and, um, a couple of weeks ago, we were tasting base wines together um, with Dave and Lois Cho as well. And yeah. it was just, it was really cool to, to share those insights together and um, to, to even just like share brunch afterwards. Like we just kicked kick the tires and opened up some great wine and shared some good stories. So um, yeah, excited to be, be in cahoots with those guys. Yeah, no, I, I saw the, the the pictures of that. That was that looked pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, they're yeah. they're doing some cool stuff, and there's a, some exciting things coming from them. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Um, so currently, you have a Pinot and a Shard, right? For sparkling, or or like no, no, well, just right now, right now, you yep. have you know a, a, a still Chardonnay and a still Pinot Noir. Yep, and then. In the fall of 2023, you're going to come out with your first sparkling. Yep, we are. Yeah, so we're going to do, we're still working out the details, but we're shooting for October 1st, the sparkling release. Um, and we'll do a release party. So it should be, it should be a good time. Um, and we're excited about that. Uh, yeah. Finally, to, to get our, our sparkling out. And it it's... I disgorged some a couple weeks ago and uh, it's showing pretty well. And this was the one I, I share with the, the guys from the vineyards from Champagne. And um, we'll, we're going to hold some back to do extended tirage just to see how it evolves. But for all, for all the wines, like I'm trying to disgorge quarterly just to know where they are. It's fun right. to pop some bottles. So, of course, <laughs> of yeah. course. Is, is so is a long long term to be a hundred percent sparkling? We will be ninety five percent. The reason why I say ninety five is that I I do have a kind of passion for Chardonnay, still Chardonnay, and we have a really good source of Pinot Noir from Sojo. Um, right. So we we entered into a long term contract with them, Denny and you know, believe in that site. And there's some good producers out there that it's for stills Pinot Noir. Like that's an amazing site. And so much like the grower champagnes do like the small grower producers, you know, we, we also want to emulate that model as far as be sparkling forward, but still have small, super small production as far as still wines. And that's, that's kind of analogous to their Coteau Champenois still wines that they have the rouge or the blanc um right. that they're producing now because climate change is enabling that 
So. Wow. Yeah. No, that's, that is awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have any more questions. Is there something that you would like to bring up or did I miss anything? I mean, I would just say thank you again, you know, for this opportunity. It's been fun to chat. And I, I mean, I think we need to meet up and share some sparkling together at some point. And I, yeah, I think it'd, it'd be a fun time to have that conversation again. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. That'd be amazing. Yeah. That'd be great thank you, AJ, for this. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate all your time and, uh, I can't wait till, uh, October and, you know, be able to be at your, uh, at your release party. No, excited to see you out there. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks AJ. Take care. Right.